Thank you for listening to the Institute of World Politics podcast. To learn more about our graduate programs in national security, international affairs, and intelligence, or to support our work in educating future leaders, please visit www.iwp.edu. All right, good afternoon. We're gonna go ahead and get started. Welcome to the Institute of World Politics. For those of you who are new, IWP is a graduate school of national security and international affairs. We have five master's degree programs, 18 certificates of study, and a new doctoral program. We also offer the opportunity to take a single course without having to pay an entire semester's worth of tuition costs. One can also audit such a course at a much less cost. If you are interested in learning more about us, please feel free to speak to one of our staff at the conclusion of this event. Brannick Biasorka is a digital media strategist and journalist from Belarus. He works as a research media analyst for the U.S. Agency for Global Media, focusing on digital markets of Russia and Eurasia. His research focuses on Russian and Chinese efforts to control smaller actors, spread disinformation, and build a sovereign internet infrastructure. He has served as a creative director for the Belarus Service of Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty, Vice President for Digital Communication Network, and Consultant for Freedom House and Broadcasting Board of Governors. Please join me in welcoming our speaker today. Uh, good afternoon. I'm very pleased to be here. It's my uh, fifth lecture in the Institute. Um, today we are going to speak about Russia and about Belarus. Um, I think my presentation will take about 40-45 minutes and we will have another 50 minutes to, um, to discuss and I will be happy to answer your questions. Um, so, uh, as you probably know, um, Russia intensified talks about bigger integration with Belarus or something. Uh, but before uh, speaking about uh, recent developments in Belarus, I also would love to cover what's happening within Russia. So, the plan for today's discussion will be we will cover, uh, we will discuss first what's happening in the Russian internet. Next, I will show you the development of Russian media toolbox in Belarus. Uh, we will analyze tactics and scenarios. Make, I will make a presentation about content analysis and we will provide some recommendations what to do in this situation. So, uh, why don't we talk about Belarus today? Uh, in 2018, Russia introduced a tax maneuver which made Lukashenko and Belarus lose a lot of, a lot of uh, money lost from, uh, from the change of oil uh, pricing. After this, uh, Russian media, Telegram channels uh, started attacking Lukashenko, Belarus independence, Belarus sovereignty. Uh, Russian ambassador Babich, who was like the most pro-Russian, uh, the most anti-Lukashenko and the most active uh, uh, politically, uh, he was uh, dismissed. Um, the talks on deeper integration continued. And recently, since September, we had uh, another round of developments. So uh, this, the, the uh, multiple US officials came to Minsk, uh, met Lukashenko. After this, in December, Lukashenko, Lukashenko met Putin in Sochi, uh, where they discussed the roadmaps on deeper integration. These roadmaps include common customs, common tax code, but also common currency, common, uh, common parliament. Uh, these talks um, uh, spiked uh, uh, protests in Belarus, five rounds of protests in Minsk and regional cities. Uh, Lukashenko gave interview to Echo Moskvy, uh, liberal uh, media outlets in Russia, where he criticized harshly uh, Putin's imperialist politics towards Belarus. But then they, meet, they, they met again and again. Uh, January 1st, Russia stopped supplying oil to uh, Belarus. Belarus made the symbolic gesture uh, buying uh, Norwegian oil. A few days ago, they, uh, they made a deal uh, to, uh, with private companies in Russia and with soccer from Azerbaijan to buy oil from there. But still, it's not enough oil to, uh, to fulfill all Belarus uh, oil demands. Uh, and um, now, they had an agreement about uh, gas pricing, similar to what they had in 2019, but still the negotiation on oil price continue. So this is a very, very brief introduction of the recent developments. So basically here we have several lines. One, it's a discussion about Belarus independence and um, integrity and um, uh, a deeper integration with Russia. And on the other hand, we see oil and gas pricing. 
Lukashenko uh, is interested to continue his uh, geopolitical CISO strategy. So, as we as we often joke in Belarus, uh, in winter Lukashenko is uh, pro-Western, in summer he is pro-Russian. So basically, this helps him to uh, to sustain and to survive uh, for 25 years already. Uh, from the West, he expects um, financial support first of all, but also European Union is a large uh, market for Belarus goods. And on the East, of course, Lukashenko feels more comfortable in terms of um, values, common interests, and I think Lukashenko still has um, has some hope to build a um, political career in Russia. Uh, this is why uh, very often Lukashenko makes gesture, gestures like inviting Russian regional journalists and saying that Belarus is the biggest Russian friend and if, if Russian people want, uh, Belarus will be happy to create a common state. But at the same time, he's very anti-Putin. At least he became very anti-Putin in his recent uh, statements. But as uh, former Polish ambassador in Belarus um, uh, emphasized uh, a few days ago, uh, Lukashenko is scared of Western democracy much more than of Russian world, Ruskimia. This is why, uh, besides all these conflicts, all this um, uh, competition, all these um, uh, verbal wars with Putin, he still, in the end, will prefer Russia over the liberal West. Uh, what is, is Lukashenko really independent? And what other tools of pressure on Lukashenko? Uh, Many of us believe that uh, Russia uh, is scary to Lukashenko because of its uh, military, because um, uh, perhaps uh, Belarus will become the next uh, Crimea. Uh, it's possibly true, but I think for Russia, the uh, military scenario, the scenario of annexation of Belarus, it's not the best one in this situation. Russia still possesses a large amount of uh, instruments, to put pressure on Belarus government. First of all, uh, trade wars. Uh, every three, six months, uh, we observe so-called uh, apple blockade, milk war, meat war, when Russia stops importing goods from Belarus. And um, this is always connected to uh, political demands by Putin. In case if Russia will block Belarusian goods um, from uh, from entering the Russian market, Belarus economy can suffer much more than from potential um, uh, the potential even oil oil prices losses if Russia will change oil price to the international uh, to the international competitive price. Another instrument of pressure on Belarus can be a blockade of the border. So we we often uh, say that yeah Belarus needs uh, the closed border with Russia. But in case if um, Russia closes the border, Lukashenko loses uh, almost 40% of transit, um, uh, transit income. Uh, for now, Russian western border is the most important um, uh, channel of transit and goods from China to the euro. And in case if Russia closed this border, Lukashenko loses so much in terms of transit, in terms of potential income. And hydrocarbons, of course, gas and oil is super important for Belarusian oil refineries. We still have Naftan and Mazir uh, refinery, which depend on fully on Russian, uh, on Russian hydrocarbons. So, if I would say what is the most important for Lukashenko, I would say the first three helps him to survive. But fourth and fifth, media and military, helps to keep him under control and to stop him from potential approachment with the West. Let's look what's happening in Russia. Uh, Russia is trying to, um, uh, to control internet space. Uh, several years ago, they revived the idea of RUNET, Sovereign Russian Internet. And uh, they, in, 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 in March 2019, they organized the first drills on filtering content. They provided private companies with a special equipment for uh, controlling um, 
content on messengers and websites. Uh, Putin introduced the project of the law on accessible internet, which uh, allows all Russians to have access to Russian platforms without any, without any cost. So basically, Vkontakte, uh, Yandex, Mail.ru become, uh, become free uh, to, to every Russian. Uh, government blocked encrypted messengers, Proton Mail, all the mail services that allow uh, to correspond um, uh, secretly. And uh, they also find Facebook and Twitter for refusal to save users' data in Russia. So this uh, is only the beginning. And this is something that China already has done several years ago. And what can happen in Belarus is that this law, these practices will be automatically uh, moved to Belarus as well. And uh, this is also the part of the negotiation between Putin and, um, and Belarus government. So the sovereign internet infrastructure, it is not only about um, closed internet traffic, but it's first of all about controlling the platforms. And today Yandex and Mail.ru are two major private companies controlling Belarus information space. And I will, I will be speaking today about how they use Russian services in order to push um, pro-Russian narrative. So let's go back to Russian presence in Belarus. Um, <coughs> two years ago, I made here the lecture, and I was speaking about Russian soft power in Belarus, about pro-Russian organizations, uh, paramilitary initiatives, sports clubs. But today, I propose to focus entirely on Russian information uh, infrastructure. On the left hand, we can see news aggregators. This is. Um, this is a very important um, instrument of providing news relevant and important to Russian Federation, not only in Belarus, but in all post-Soviet space. So-called recommendation services, Yandex Zen, Yandex News, and Mail.ru News exist in all Russian-speaking space. And, um, to the official, according to the official theory, these aggregators are not controlled manually by editors, but the selection of media that can export news to these personalization services are decided by editors. So, for example, Radio Free Europe or Poland-funded Bielsat are not on mailroom use, and Sputnik has almost 70% of their referral traffic from Yandex News. Social media. Odnaklasniki uh, and Vkontakte are two major social media platforms in Belarus. And formally, they are independent, and formally they do not control the content. But what we can see, we can see the uh, blockade of the specific topics. For example, when protests happen in Belarus, in December 2019 against the integration, all the live streaming uh, conducted by Bielsat and Radio Free Europe was uh, practically blocked. On Adnaklasniki, we see constant filtering of the content. Some posts are blocked without explanation. Uh, some uh, types of video are stopped from distribution, which, is very, which makes this platform very similar to TikTok. It's another Chinese platform, very popular among young people now, which can filter content without prior noticing. Original websites, I will focus especially uh, on this thing, it's a, it's a, a consortium of news portals and pages uh, mimicking uh, regional, local regional news pages in Belarus. Telegram channels, this is a particular um, important instrument uh, for distributing insights and fake news. Sputnik is important for producing content which is later distributed uh, through VK communities. VK communities uh, are um, the most toxic communities and pages on this list. And I think their goal is not to uh, spread specific narrative, but to mobilize young people to pro-Russian initiatives and organizations. And think tanks which uh, usually just justify pro-Russian policies or put in statements or um, uh, explain uh, uh, complex things uh, 
in, in Belarus politics. Narratives. So there are three major narratives um, in social media, Telegram channels, not Naklastiki. Uh, two of them are, are alarmist and one is appeasement. So one is alarmist, uh, anti-Russian. The, 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 the story is that Lukashenko already dealt with the United States. He is traitor. He agreed for NATO base in Minsk. Uh, that Lukashenko is going to introduce Greek Catholicism and to forbid uh, Orthodox Church. And this story, this anti-Russian alarmist uh, narrative, is usually spreaded on Telegram. So Telegram is the main platform for this anti-Russian alarmist narrative. On the right hand, we can see armies but pro-Russian, which uh, I must say happens simultaneously. All these channels they can distribute absolutely opposite narrative at the same time. Alarmist pro-Russian is primarily focused and um, on on pro-Russian uh, Lukashenko's position. They take all Lukashenko's interviews. They select uh, statements which are very anti-Western, very anti-American. They take statements from archive and present Lukashenko as a very pro-Russian guy. And the goal is to show that Lukashenko is already, is, uh, Lukashenko already sold everything to Russia. And in the middle, these are official channels. These are mainly Sputnik. Uh, this is also official made statements by Russian embassy in Minsk. They say, Come on, guys, no worries. Lukashenko is okay. Uh, nothing will happen to Belarus independence. We just continue what we started in 1999. I don't have like explanation what is the long-term strategy of having these three, uh, three, three absolutely opposing narratives. But I think the main idea is to confuse population and also to discredit Lukashenko, both in Russia and in Belarus. Every article published on Russian media, on Russian social networks, on Telegram channels, they have uh, encouragement to the discussion. So this is uh, one of the publications about uh, Putin-Lukashenko talks about Belarusian-Russian uh, integration. And the question was asked uh, what Lukashenko wants. 66,000 people answered. Uh, 45% thinks that Lukashenko wants to tear away from tear uh, Belarus away from Russia. 46 wants to live as it is. It means to not change anything. And 7% want, uh, believes that Lukashenko wants to reconcile with Russia. And I think these results of this poll, in general, they illustrate the picture within the Russia. Why Russia wants to discredit Lukashenko? Because Lukashenko is very popular there. Lukashenko still is very popular politician. At some surveys, even more popular than me. And uh, Russia cannot make anything against him until he has the image of the saint. So what they want, they want to weaken him, to weaken his image, which will let them to put additional pressure, to discredit, or even to use military force if needed. Another narrative, which is popular on VK primarily, and on think tanks, that Lukashenko <coughs> is a prodigal, prodigal? Prodigal, prodigal son. The guy who were like looking, who was looking for himself, who was trying to make friendship with the West, with the United States, with Pompeo, but he realized that there is no better solution than, than to be with Russia. And this is a very positive towards Lukashenko, and this is primarily targeting Belarus audience on local VK pages and regional websites. In contrast to Telegram channels, where Lukashenko is super negative here, Lukashenko on VK is a superhero, still is a superhero. And Lukashenko is still a superhero who supports Russia. Uh, market agency Digital Guru made an analysis of messaging on social media in December um, 2019 
during uh, the protests in Minsk and the Lukashenko-Putin talks, and they analyzed the sentiment of these messages and also the platforms where the major discussions among um, internet users were happening. And we can see that the majority of messages were happening on the same platforms that belong to Russia, VK and OK. And this analysis also discovered that Belarusians, Belarusian internet users perceived these talks and these deals between Putin and Lukashenko in much more aggressive and negative way compared to Russia. And this is also the result of how these news were presented in Russia and in Belarus. And another, another number, which is not here, which showed that uh, Belarus, uh, all, all, this, all this news about integration and Putin-Lukashenko talks in Belarus were mostly discussed by young people under 40, and in Russia mostly discussed by people uh, 45, 50 plus. Tactics. Tactics changed. It's not the same as it was five or ten years ago. First of all, the conversation, the discussion on Telegram, this is not something that we can call worldwide web. When before, Russia invested in Russia Today, in Sputnik, it was open, it was uh, easy to check, easy to follow. Now the major discussions are happening on closed groups, Telegram channels, on uh, forums that are closed from researchers, from journalists, from um, uh, activists and politicians. And this is a, a big change that happened to the internet space, not only in Russia, but worldwide. When 10 years ago everything was visible, now the users are concerned with their privacy and they go to closed platforms. This is why, for example, Facebook groups, closed groups or secret, secret groups are so popular because regular people from outside, they cannot see what's happening there. Same thing on chat. In Belarus, there are multiple, dozens of chat that count from 300 to 3,000 people, including Belarus ministers, KGB officers, political party leaders, pro-Russian activists, the way the major discussions happen. And we call this part of the internet deep web, which is not visible to regular users. And the analysis of this deep web thing is much more difficult than analysis of um, traditional websites. Another big change, it's a distribution. Um, we call it like fan type distribution. So basically when before Russia was trying to invest a lot in different in variety of content, now they invest uh, much less in content but, but much more in the distribution. They create one story on Sputnik, which is well prepared, well designed, and then this story is repacked for different audiences and for different platforms. When we speak about regional network of websites, they just copy each other. One website in VTIPS created the story, and all other regional websites just copy past the story. Troy and Horst tactic. So this is what I mentioned before. It's, um, it's mimicking a regional website thing. So they realized that uh, on Telegram, it's impossible to change public opinion in Belarus by pushing messages through Nizigar channel. Nizigar it's a popular Russian telegram channel uh, about Ukraine, Russia, foreign policy. They have a lot of insights about uh, what's going on in Kremlin. But they realized that Belarusians do not trust anymore uh, to Russian channels. And they began in the end of 2018 creating the local telegram channels and local websites and hyper-local segmented decentralized distribution. So when before they invested into large and powerful media outlets like RT, Sputnik, Russia, like in Baltic states, Russian TV channels are very popular. Now they invest in small and many that target specific niche audiences. Let's go first to the websites. So these are uh, four groups of websites um, segmented by uh, toxicity, toxi, toxicity, toxicity. This research was made by this center, um, Andrei Liceo, my, my colleague. So here on the left, we see the most toxic websites. 
all of them are pseudo-local in Belarus. And on the right, you can see the Belarus-Russia Union website and purely Russian websites writing about Belarus. The narratives analysis shows that uh, most of these websites, they share um, chauvinist um, theories, um, conspiracies, uh, anti-Western um, narratives. Uh, the very popular idea is that Belarus language does not exist. Belarus independence is, um, uh, was an accident. Belarus uh, shouldn't get independence after Soviet Union collapse. And Americans, Poles, Lithuanians are helping to support this fake Belarus identity. Uh, I will focus more on narratives later when we will be uh, analyzing, analyzing Wiki. But let's, let's look at the original websites. In my opinion, it's one of the most dangerous things that has happened in Belarus. Uh, Belarus media space is very weak. Um, Belarus media do not have access to the state distribution system. And the regional websites, news, uh, newspapers, magazines, uh, they do not have enough uh, opportunities to survive without foreign funding. Uh, many of them are closed since 2010. And the released niche was taken by these mimicking pro-Russian pages. Vidzbich, Magilov Bai, Nash Gomil. As you can see, they don't use like Putin's face as the logo. They don't use uh, like Russian use name in their headlines or titles. Most of them are using some elements from the local tradition. For example, we can see here, uh, Beresinius is using the part of the uh, city emblem. Uh, Magilov websites, they use the um, city hall uh, picture. So they're trying to to pretend they're so local, they're so close to people, but the messages they distribute, they absolutely anti-Belarusian and anti-local in most cases. Uh, the analysis, uh, the investigation made by Andrei Eliseev showed that all of these websites, I think not all of them, but like five of seven, are registered to the same person. It was not difficult to check because there is international system who is, where you can just like type the domain name and this Alexei Semyonov is uh, an employee of uh, CIS MO organization which organized the observation of elections in post-Soviet space. Uh, let's look at their statistics. The good thing that besides Source Info, the Gomil website, Gomil Region website, uh, others do not have like big audience and they didn't manage to build this audience. But the major problems comes not from these numbers, but from the multiplication of messages. Sometimes I feel that these websites, when they write like 50, 70 news per day, they don't intend to change public opinion, but they intend to put specific topic in the top of the search engines. I think many of these websites have only one purpose, to put specific news in the very top of the search result page. And the VK Twitter trolls accounts, they uh, serve to the same purpose. We can also see here the sources of traffic. As you can see, when we take the referral traffic, the most of them are alive only thanks to Yandex. Yandex Zen, Yandex News, Mailroom News are like the fuel for these audiences. Without the support of Yandex, these websites perhaps will not have any users and any visitors. We also can see here that these websites have some uh, similar pattern in terms of sharing information. So all of them are sharing uh, content from each other, but also they share uh, content from anti-Ukrainian pages and purely Russian media websites like Vesti24 or um, Rubaltic, which is like uh, Russian news for multiple Baltic countries, or um, Ruskia Org, it's another chauvinist page, and you see Sojinfo, which is the most popular one regional website, it actually shares this Ruskia, Ruskia Org. Sputnik. Um, Sputnik is the phenomenon 
because uh, I don't know any person in Belarus who reads Sputnik, and same time Sputnik is the most uh, becomes the most popular news website in Belarus after to Dubai. And this is uh, this is a surprise to me. This is a surprise for many um, analysts. But the answer is simple. Most of their traffic is coming from Yandex. Is coming from Mail.ru news, and this is not people who actually come to Sput come to Sputnik on purpose. Most of the users, of this 10 million unique visitors, claimed by uh, Margarita Simonyan, they're absolutely accident visitors to Sputnik website. But the qu it's a question of time when these accident users will become loyal users. After seeing content by Sputnik one, two, three, four times, will they will to stay? Will they want to add this website to their bookmarks? We don't know for sure. And when we analyze all the numbers here, yeah, it's true that Sputnik is growing extremely um, fast. It's true that this, its audience is bigger than, than RFERL, Bielsat, uh, Radio Razia, uh, Euro Radio um, together. It's true, their numbers is, is huge, but same same time, it's true that the referral traffic generated by Yandex, as you can see here, in December 2019, during the Putin-Lukashenko talk, it's created by Yandex. 70% of these 3 million are coming from Yandex. So what we see here that Russians managed to build infrastructure which supports each other, and when we take each part of this infrastructure, it doesn't seem very dangerous. It doesn't have like millions or billions of users. But, to, but together, it works perfectly. It works in an organized way. And unfortunately, we don't know who is coordinating the system and makes it work uh, so perfectly. VK and Adnaklasniki, uh, two major uh, social networks in Belarus. Uh, they're popular not only in Belarus. They're popular in Kazakhstan, in Armenia, uh, VK popular in some uh, Balkan uh, countries as well. Uh, we don't know for sure how many users. Of course, they claim this hundreds of millions, but uh, we always must remember this is uh, these are Russian platforms, and that can be similar situation to Simon Yan's tweet that they can pretend they have millions, but it doesn't it doesn't mean it's it's true. And unfortunately, we cannot check it. What we know for sure that these platforms still remain the most popular in Belarus. Of contacts at Naplastnikia are. Uh, used by uh, half of Belarus uh, population. It's not internet users, but population. So it means like three, four million of people are using or at least have account on these platforms. I call these platforms hostile platforms because I'm a journalist and I see how uh, they uh, perceive content produced by uh, Gilsat TV, by Radio Free Europe, they just delete everything they don't like. They block pages, they block accounts uh, without noticing. Another analysis made by Brand Analytics here shows us how many messages created in thousands. So we see that uh, in one month, 20 million messages or posts created on Contact, which makes it the most popular and the most used Platforms, uh, platform in, in Belarus. Same messengers. So messengers um, can be used for two purposes. On one hand, they're used for private messaging. We write to our kids, to our parents, our friends. But this is not about Telegram. Because Telegram, besides traditional messaging, uh, P2P messaging, it can be used for as the publishing platform. And all these Telegram channels we are talking today, we are discussing today, they are using Telegram as the platform where they can distribute disinformation or fake news. Let's look at the VK communities. Um, that's my favorite part. Uh, here we are going to see the most recent posts on these pages, and I think you will. Uh, you will like it because uh, sometimes they are um, they are funny, sometimes they are weird, but um, but 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 it works. Unfortunately, it works, and their numbers are growing. 
it's not like extreme growth, they don't have millions. No, this is like the most toxic uh, communities on VK. Uh, so I counted the total number of followers is like about 100,000. But the, when we count all the people who are exposed to this content, including those who are accidentally shown this post by VK, is much, much bigger. It's up to four or 500,000 people, primarily um, young users of Belarus. And you see the names, I, I try to translate them. Uh, most of them are using this chauvinist or imperialist cliche or this trillion Slavic nation idea in their names. They uh, emphasize the Rus, Belarus, Rus part of the world as well. So it, everything must work on this subconscious, subconscious level. Today, my colleagues from iSense, it's a um, think tank working on, on monitoring Russian disinformation in Belarus. Today, they launched interactive map. You can try it by yourself, iSense.org Toxic. And you can play with these 35 communities they identified. And you can see the statistics, the number, there is a listening tool here, which shows the actual number of users engaged. So, yeah, if we take each of these community, it's pretty small. If we take together, it's huge. And it's, um, it, it creates, it makes concern. It makes us concerned. Uh, Using the VK communities and Telegram channels did not begin last year, and not this January. It started several years ago, but the most spectacular case happened in December 2018. It just happened after um, tax maneuver, just before all this conversation about Belarus independence started in 2018. All this groups, dozens, hundreds of pages, they posted the same question to their followers. Do you support uh, union with Russia? Do you support entering Belarus to Russia? Do you want Belarus to join Russia as six regions? Uh, do you want just to Russia? So all these groups, sometimes they were not political at all. Some of them were just like writing some things about cinema, movies, cartoons, they suddenly post a political question. And this is, I think, the main idea, the long-term goal of this infrastructure. Now we see only the superficial impact. But in situation of full mobilization, this effect can be multiplied in dozens of times. Let's look at some examples and know what they do. Uh, this is um, this is how um, these uh, audiences and these Russian pages see the world in 2030. So yes, Europe is the LGBT caliphate. Uh, China is China. Syria is the whole Africa. Venezuela is South America, and uh, all North America is the great desert of the tolerance. This is a general grand vision of the world um, by Putin. Putin eyes. But when we uh, take a closer look, you know, we can check what they really uh, don't like in the West. And this is uh, everything from February, from this month. So first of all, they reacted very aggressively to Putin's, uh, to Lukashenko and Pompeo's meeting. It was discussed everywhere. Uh, thousands of memes, hundreds of posts. Most of them do not write texts. They are very good at memes, but uh, regarding analytics, they just shared Sputnik's articles. On the right, uh, the text is uh, that, that the United States decided to uh, decided on deeper, deeper integration with Belarus. They just like playing the words deep integration with Russia, but when Pompeo came to Minsk, you know, they, they played, they replayed the idea that U.S. wants deeper integration instead of Russia. Here it's the um, potential consequences of being friends with the United States. And there are the list of all um, countries uh, apparently bombed by the United States, occupied by the United States. The last one is Ukraine in 2013 and 2014. And on the left, it was the same day posted, it's the meeting of Pompeo with the leaders of with human rights defenders and the leaders of civil society in Minsk. Anti-LGBT. 
So this is the thing which works always. This is the thing which, which is unfortunately very often shared and supported by people who actually don't like Putin and don't support Russia. Belarus society is very um, conservative, and what they try to do, they just try to, to play on this anti-LGBT sentiments. And Buttigieg idea, Buttigieg was like the main hero of all these public communities, groups, and channels for a week or two. Now, of course, they, they got a new hero, they got Sanders, they got uh, Trump, uh, they tried to play with their statements, but Buttigieg was a uh, cool finding for them to use it to discredit, as they believe, to discredit the United States. Until Lithuania. Until Lithuania, it's a new thing, because Lithuania uh, announced the war to Belarus, um, to Lukashenko's nuclear plant, built by Russia. And of course, uh, Mi uh, Minister Lenkevichus, Minister of Foreign Affairs, became the ambassador of the evil. So basically, for, for the week, all these channels were attacking Vilnius, the forum in Vilnius, and Lenkevichus' statements on, on Lukashenko and on the nuclear plan, when Lenkevichus said that we will ask our allies to not buy energy from, uh, from this nuclear plant. And on the left, it's the, it's the post saying that, um, do you know that uh, the statue of uh, Grand Duchy of Lithuania was written in Russian? Uh, why? Because when uh, we came there, Lithuania didn't have any literacy. And this is why it was written in Russian. So it's, it's a basic manipulation. Anti-opposition, of course, now Belarusian political party leaders, they organize primaries. And uh, all these Russian pages, they attack the primaries and the candidates with reasons and without. Uh, pro Lukashenko, as I mentioned, in contrast to Telegram, VK likes Lukashenko. And VK still believes that Lukashenko is the major provider and supporter of this trillion Slavic nation and, and Russian Belarus uh, integration. Pro imperialist, here we can see that they don't celebrate uh, Valentine's Day because we have the day of Peter and Fevronia. Uh, the quotes by Suvorov that you should beat your enemy uh, the, on the day of the uh, native mother tongue, native language. Uh, the statistics that majority of Belarusians select Russian language in the ATM machines. So very basic stuff, but when you multiply it, you know, it can create the, the effect. And of course, anti-Poland. Anti-Poland is like anti-Polish narrative is like the super major topic. Every week, they create the cartoon, the meme, the picture uh, against Card of Poland, against Pilsudski, against Bury. Uh, on the left, you can see the, the line, uh, the people waiting for the Card of Poland, and on the left, the table without people. It's a jury Belarus. It's like Belarusian opposition table. Uh, on the left bottom, you can see that um, Kosovo is Serbia and Galicia is Polska. And I don't know why they often uh, put Ukraine and Belarus together. So all these articles, how someone in Poland bat, uh, beaten uh, Ukrainian immigrants, they distribute this idea, showing like, look, your Poles hate you. So your Poland will betray you, uh, so don't expect anything from it. Anti-Ukrainian, so I know it's, 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 it's weird, but this was Ukrainian flag on the left, and this shows that unfortunately Ukraine uh, decided, um, made the wrong choice, so they are not anymore, they are not brothers anymore, but we're still together, Belarus and Russia, and a very nice patriotic um, poem. Telegram. Uh, let's uh, what time is now? Okay, quickly. So, Telegram. Telegram has a very um, complex story of development. On one hand, Russian government is trying to block it. On the other hand, Telegram is used by majority of Russian users, politicians, even the Russian official media are using Telegram for content distribution. So, we don't really know what is behind. Do they really fight Telegram? Or they just want to show that Telegram is quasi-independent, quasi-anti-Putin, and they use Telegram for their own purposes. So what happened in Belarus? What happened in Ukraine? Telegram came there as the dissident channel. But for now, Telegram became 
the most toxic channel, the most toxic platform, and the platform where the most of disinformation and fakes are created. Telegram itself is not um, it's not a big threat because the users who subscribe to these pro-Russian channels they are it's not like millions of people. But the most dangerous is the Telegram insights and fakes are shared by traditional media. And this is a way how Telegram and anonymous channels on Telegram legitimize themselves. Uh, I analyzed six channels. Most of them were covering Putin-Lukashenko talks, covering protests in Belarus. Um, they are very anti-Lukashenko. They are very pro-Russian. All these channels are registered to Belarus phone numbers. But all of them were registered in the period from November to March, from November 2018 to March 2019. Uh, this is what I mentioned in the beginning when Russians decided that it's, impo it's impossible to reach Belarus population with Russian channels. You need to create, create quasi-local channels. So these local channels, they are writing only about politics, only pro-Russian uh, content. Most of them are distribute conspiracy theories. For example, that protests were protests in Minsk in December were managed by son of Lukashenko. That Lukashenko organized these opposition rallies uh, to to make Putin an, uh, angry, and so on and so on. Um, I will skip the slide. So this is example. For example, how they covered uh, Pompeo's visit to Minsk. As I mentioned, in you know, Pompeo. It was, um, uh, it was the biggest, the highest uh, ranked official since Clinton's visit in 1994 to Belarus. And for Russian media, it was a um, huge loss. It was a huge event, and they, uh, they reacted uh, very aggressively to this. So I just made a short um, summary. What ideas, what insights, what conspiracies Telegram channels destroyed? First of all, that Pompeo brought personal letter, secret letter to Lukashenko from Trump. All of them spread this idea, but the content of this letter was different. So different channels, they sent, one channel said that uh, Trump proposed Lukashenko to create one big state, including Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia, Poland, Ukraine, and Belarus, uh, and to call it Grand Duchy of Lithuania. Or, <laughs> Uh, another letter was that um, Lukashenko was promised by Trump membership in WTO, EU, NATO, and $25 billion next year if Lukashenko will stop deeper integration with, with Russia. But later, all these you know, fake debunking websites, they, they began speaking that it's not so easy to join NATO and it's impossible to become a WTO member like in 2021 for Belarus. But it was too late, you know, because when you launch the fake, you know, the, all this debunking process, you know, it takes, it takes time when, the, when this information is already widely, widely spread and discussed. Uh, the next idea that U.S. and Russia agreed that Lukashenko must leave and integration will continue, but without him. So this was an idea that Putin actually uh, is okay with Pompeo's visit to Minsk. They just wanted to pass to Lukashenko that his days are going to the end. Um, uh, the next, it's an alarmist message that if we will not annex Belarus, it will be done by NATO soldiers. So we should uh, do it as soon as possible. Russia must offer Lukashenko more than just cheap oil and gas. And Russia doesn't need Belarus today to expensive. Integration should have been 2022. And this is an idea which is very uh, widely discussed now, that integration will continue. But since Putin found a way to stay in power without Belarus, Let's not push, let's not um, be in a rush. Let's, let, let's like make this integration process smooth. Uh, and messages. So uh, there is no unified message of Telegram channels, VK, VK groups, Putnik. Uh, many of these ideas are controversial. Uh, and um, there is no like, centralized center which distribute you know, the, the specific idea. So there is two opposing ideas where Lukashenko is an enemy and Lukashenko is a victim. Uh, and sometimes the same channel in one post can make Lukashenko an enemy and the next post can present him as a victim. A demonization of the West. So basically US, Poland and recently Lithuania are like the, the demons. 
Um, integration is unavoidable. It's commonly shared across all the channels and platforms, and often, always, comparison to Ukraine, in, in the negative sense. Who are vulnerable? Uh, young people, population with low media literacy, uh, older generation, because Adnaklastiki is mostly used by people 55 uh, plus, uh, and they spend a lot of time there, um, especially uh, uh, people on, on retirement who don't work. They come to Adnaklastiki, they can spend four or five hours a day discussing politics, Pompeo, Trump, Lukashenko, and Putin. And uh, last slides, what to do? So it's very important to uh, to empower, to um, enhance uh, media space in Belarus. So what, what we see now, it's a window of opportunity. Uh, we observed the same situation in 2009, when um, before presidential election 20, uh, 2010, Lukashenko allowed independent media to work um, <coughs> legally, without detentions, without fines. Um, political party leaders were able to uh, register uh, presidential candidates. So this year, in the, in the fall, there will be presidential elections again. And it seems that Lukashenko will let this year be free, open, uh, and democratic. But it also doesn't mean that this democracy will not finish after, after elections. Uh, it's very important to invest into new media, regional groups, local groups, into non-conventional uh, media outlets on Viki, Adnaklasniki, uh, that are not controlled by Russians. It's very important to monitor ISN's uh, example when they monitor, for example, Viki toxic communities, but it's very important to do the same research on other platforms as well and use it as the alert system to know where, uh, what narrative is pushed and where the main uh, threat or risk can come. Uh, Cross-sector collaboration to work with educators, especially with uh, school teachers. Um, why it's important? Because, um, because that's the only one way to reach uh, kids and to enhance media literacy among young people. Uh, create content, infotainment, edutainment. For example, TikTok, we still at USAGM, uh, we don't know how to reach uh, audiences on TikTok. And TikTok is like fifth popular platform in Belarus, especially among young people. We don't create content uh, for TikTok. We don't create entertainment. Um, no, we, we, but, and, and we should find a way to tell political story, to explain um, uh, complex topics in the form, in the manner which is uh, usable and uh, digestible by young people. And to support identity. So all these projects, programs, supporting Belarusian language, lessons, classes, virtual uh, lectures, um, history programs created by DELSAT TV channel, which is um, uh, sponsored by, by Polish government, uh, very important. Education programs for, for Belarus. Um, basically, we, we don't have um, uh, any uh, conventional um, uh, institutions in, in Minsk that can educate people non-censored, pro-Belarusian version of, of history. Uh, I'm done. Uh, do you have any questions? I know we have a bit of time, but... Yes, uh, I'm Nikola the representative of the Russian Embassy. Thank you for your very interesting lecture. I was actually attracted by uh, a mentioning of uh, Russia-Belarus conflict the announcement of your lecture. Uh, but I, I'm not sure I have heard anything about the Russia-Russian conflict, where actually allies, where members of the unified state, where building uh, unified state, where members of CSTO and Eurasian Union, where allies? What, uh, what, what the conflict are you talking about? So, and it was um, actually very funny to, to learn that some Russian ambassadors can be more pro-Russian or less pro-Russian, this part is especially important. Um, thank, thank you for your, mm -hmm. for your comments. I think, you know, the idea you represent is exactly on the center. This is official Russian position 
that we just want status quo, that nothing serious is happening, that we continue our integration plans that we began in 1999, that Lukashenko is our partner, we are members of Eurasian Union, we are members of, of ADKB, uh, but same time, simultaneously with these narratives, we see the developments of this radical, these extreme narratives, which are getting more and more visible and more and more heard, not only on the uh, toxic telegram channels, but in conventional media as well. This other sites. But, uh, but I got your point, and I think the official position is on the center. Which, which, which proved the point? Uh, yes, Carl? I call out to the Joint Policy American National Committee. Um, on, the, on the fifth anniversary of the death of Boris Nemtsov today, I'm just wondering if you've had a chance to take a look and, and see how the media is, uh, is uh, dealing with that topic today. Um, uh, unfortunately, I did not. I did not follow, you know, to today's discussion in media in Belarus or Russia. But in general, uh, when when this happened, when Nimtsov was killed, uh, it was a huge. Um, um, it was it was a big big thing for all of us. I remember this day because I was on the um, uh, on my my um, news shift exactly when when he was killed. I, I put the news on the Radio Free Europe web page. In, in Belarus. And Nemtsov was an important figure because Nemtsov was a representant, um, representative of the uh, liberal um, Russian uh, uh, opposition, which believed that Russia can coexist with neighboring countries. And unfortunately, after his death, we see lesser and lesser uh, people who believe that Russia can uh, become be liberal and live in equal partner relationship with Ukraine, uh, Belarus, uh, Caucasus states. Now, even in Russian liberal media like Tiyarain or Kamersand, we often hear this uh, Russian chauvinist idea, uh, even sometimes anti-Belarusian um, uh, publications uh, or statements that Belarusian language, for example, is artificial or, uh, or dying. Yeah. Uh, okay. If you want, you can go ahead first. Uh, hi, I'm Katerina. I'm a student at GW, journalist from Primi Channel in Ukraine. Um, my question is more about what do you think? Uh, what role does the youth play? I know that there's a lot of talk about how you know when the boomers will die, we'll be six feet underground. The youth of Russia, Belarus, and Ukraine and Georgia, we will all magically spring up, have our wings out, and everyone are going to become liberal. And yet, on one of your slides. It was, the men it was mentioned that young people are susceptible to propaganda. Uh, so what do you think? Do you think that young people are actually becoming more and more resistant to propaganda? Or do you think that they're still very much susceptible to it? And I'm asking more about Belarus, because in Belarus, uh, I I've been to Belarus plenty of times. I have friends who, who live there. And what they're telling me is that a lot of Belarusian kids don't have an interest in learning Belarusian because they don't see the practicality of it. Their media primarily is Russian, and many of them are, don't even care about learning English, which unfortunately is becoming a reality for many, many, uh, for a lot of kids in Ukraine as well. So, will are, is is this theory of liberal pro Western kids true, or is it just an ideal spread by a lot of people? Uh, thanks for your question. After 2014, uh, Maidan and Crimean Revolution and the uh, worry with the Russian-Russian annexation of, uh, of Crimea, the interest to Belarus identity, culture, and language uh, became much, much bigger. Uh, many social initiatives launched in Minsk and Belarus regions on learning Belarus language. Mova Tsikava, Mova Nanova, Every week, they gathered hundreds of people in different towns, villages, and cities um, where people discussed history, language, even politics. Uh, this process continued since then, and now more and more interest to this uh, identity thing. Uh, since then, um, uh, thanks to the civil society effort, Monument to Kostushko, 
the common Belarus, Polish, Lithuanian, American hero was erected, and it was not it was not done. It was not made by Lukashenko, but Lukashenko did not resist it. Uh, for now, for example, when Kalinowski remain, uh, remains were found in Vilnius, thousands of people, especially young people, came to Vilnius to, um, to, to, to honor the ceremony. And I think there were more Belarusians than Lithuanians uh, back then in, in Vilnius. Um, last Saturday, there was a big uh, celebration of the Mother Tongue Day, of the Native, Native Language Day in Minsk. More than 10,000 people attended. Five years ago, it was impossible to imagine that 10,000 people will gather in Minsk to celebrate Belarus language. Belarus language was treated as Belar as, as opposition language. Uh, sometimes even police officers can detain you for using Belarus because it was so discriminated, it was so isolated, but since then situation changed um, significantly. And last Saturday event sponsored by largest Belarus brewery, by Belarus State Bank, by gambling uh, like sports bet uh, company. It was the proof. Not very much, yeah. Not very much. It was Leon, Leon, yeah. another company. But this is an example that the situation is changing. And uh, Lukashenko understands that he, um, he can't stop it. He tried to embrace it. He tried to embrace it. He tried to wear Vishavanka, you know, national embroidered shirt. But uh, people don't uh, connect him. People don't perceive him as the promoter of Belarus. For young people, Lukashenko is a representative, is a representative of, of the past, of the Soviet nostalgia. Even officials in, um, in Belarus and Minsk uh, city council, for example, uh, who, are, who, have, who are my age, uh, they don't belong to the generation of Lukashenko. You know? they, they still serve to the government, they still serve to these authorities, but in the moment X, I would say, in the moment of real change, in the moment when they uh, will, will have to make choice, they will not be standing on his on his side. Lukashenko understands this, and this is why he began playing this nationalist card um, more and more and more often. Uh, yes. uh, my name is Kostutas, I'm from Ambassador Lithuania. Thank you very much for a very interesting and very impressive analysis, and very useful analysis. Maybe you could speak also about the role of God of Orthodox Church. In, in that, does it, do you see any uh, help in, in, in helping to promote uh, and spread further these narratives? Uh, but sometimes not necessarily political ones. Um, so, Orthodox Church uh, in Belarus is fully controlled by Russian Orthodox Church. It's not the same as in Ukraine. So, we don't have uh, a legal autocephalous church. Uh, our uh, Belarusian Orthodox Church is the you know, basically uh, how to say not not grantee but the division, the chapter of the Moscow of the Moscow of the Moscow um, headquarters. Uh, what they do, they um, allow pro-Russian sports clubs, paramilitary organizations, Cossacks initiatives to have legal status in Belarus. So there are many Cossacks clubs, uh, groups, Cossacks, you know, these pro-Russian paramilitary activists and all that are fighters for Orthodox religion. Uh, they are not able to get official registration from Belarus authorities. Belarus authorities don't like them much, but they just register as this um, kroshki, I don't know. Like circles around uh, around the Orthodox Church, especially in the western part of Belarus, and the Orthodoxy as idea is widely spread on Wiki groups, on Telegram channels as well. Um, they often uh, oppose Orthodoxy to the Western liberal world. They say that we don't belong to the West because we are Orthodox. And uh, besides Orthodoxy, they also use this triune Slavic nation idea. Belarus creation. There is no like separate Belarusian uh, people, but we belong, you know, to, to one group. Uh, and this idea is also shared by Orthodox priests and often cultivated, often repeated, 
often promoted during the masses, even during the masses. Lukashenko cannot do anything because Lukashenko cannot do anything about Orthodox Church, about this pro-Russian media, VK groups, because he is afraid of having scandal. Uh, he is afraid of uh, damaging a relationship with Russia. This is why this network of Russian pages is uh, existing. Lukashenko often says, we know about pro-Russian fifth column, we know about pro-Russian telegram channel, uh, they do bad job, they discredit our relationship, but at the same time, he doesn't do anything. He doesn't, uh, and he cannot do anything. Uh, in contrast to Ukraine, where, for example, pro-Russian pages, Russian media, and Russian platforms are blocked. And it seems that the uh, ban of contacts at Naklasniki will be prolonged. I think in two months, you know, they have to decide. And I think Vicky and Naklasniki will remain blocked. I think we have to finish. Uh, thank you so much for your attention. Thanks so much for coming.